Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith. And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics. We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policymakers, and issues that face voters. Hi, Deirdre. Hi, Robbie. So this is episode 11, in which we're, I am 100% (laughs) sure. (laughs) We're going to have four segments in this episode, and I understand that you're carrying on with a new theme, but you'll have titles for each segment. Yes, yes. So in our first segment, what's the title? This is entitled Rage Against Elections Canada. Rage Against Elections Canada. So that's pretty fitting. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be discussing the conservative strategy of trying to undermine democratic institutions, specifically Elections Canada, obviously. Mm-hmm. So what's the story here? So Pierre Polyev. Polyevra? Polyver? Polyver? Yep. Uh, he, so he raged against Elections Canada, what was it, last week? And this, this isn't actually the first time that he's, that he's done it. But, you know, he, he brought up the possibility of vote rigging by the Liberals because the Liberals were looking at Uh, the purview of Elections Canada in their ability to promote voting. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of where it started. Um, But the thing is that this, it's, it's not actually a new complaint. It was, I don't, I don't know, before I get into that, is there, do you want to add something to this latest? No. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was actually brought up as well by the Liberals in 2014 after Harper announced changes to the Election Act. And, of course, we remember it as the Unfair Elections Act. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One amendment sought to hinder Elections Canada from advertising and promoting voting. So, uh, Polyver was, at that time, the Minister of Democratic Reform. Harper eventually allowed Elections Canada to advertise in K to 12 schools, which a lot of good that does for an eight-year-old to be aware that there's an election coming. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was 2014. But also, uh, they went after at that point in time. They went after the elections commissioner, and Bill C23. That's what the Fair Elections Act or Unfair Elections Act was called. The Liberals changed that in 2016 under Bill C-33, and it changed some of the contentious issues that remained from Harper C-23 when they had passed the bill. So they moved the commissioner out of public prosecutions where they were under the oversight of the Attorney General. And the thing about this is that since the SNC 
scandal since Jody Wilson-Raybould brought up all of these issues that really made it clear that there are certain things that should not be under partisan control. The position of the attorney general, the position of the justice minister should be separate. And Harper had actually moved the commissioner into public prosecutions where they were under the oversight of the attorney general, meaning they were under the oversight of the justice minister, who is a partisan, uh, that's a partisan role. So they, the liberals moved move them back out of that. Um, and one of the things I was wondering as well was whether or not we should watch for a move similar to this since uh, the election commissioner is still investigating a number of UCP complaints. But another yeah. thing that this actually led to, because you know who else popped up in May accusing Elections Canada of having a personal vendetta? Did you see this one? I don't think uh, they did, no. Dean Del Mastro. Oh, yeah. Del Mastro, Mr. <laughs> Found Guilty of Elections Fraud? That's the one. And so he so he popped up in May as well. And the reason that he accused Elections Canada of having a personal vendetta against him is because he wasn't given the option of a compliance agreement. But according to the Global News article, Del Mastro wouldn't have qualified because the compliance agreement requires the person to admit guilt, which he hasn't done. Ah. So it wasn't offered to him because it's it wasn't actually available because he still says he didn't do anything. And Paul uh, Paul also had entered into a compliance agreement with the elections commissioner in 2007 for his oh his golf shirt that had the Conservative Party of Canada logo on it. So, I mean, this is this is just a convoluted little mess. So do you think that some of this is less about electoral strategy, trying to fight the liberals, and some of it is kind of history fighting back against Elections Canada because the Conservative Party has been found guilty of breaking election law so many times? Because it is so many times. I didn't even write down all the times. You know, I think it's an electoral move that they would like to do anyways to plant the seed of doubt. Yeah. So if they if they plant the seed of doubt, you know, if we don't win, it's because of this. That's always a I think that's always a fair strategy to to start making excuses beforehand. That's it's not a confident strategy, in my opinion, but I think it's a fair thing to do. And like I said, it wasn't new, but they're also doing something. I mean, yes, they're they're They happen to be attacking the election commissioner right now or and elections Canada. But the other thing is that they have been very good at perpetuating this state of crisis and a crisis in trust towards these public institutions. And that's been going on for quite a while now. I mean, it's very concerning for me. And I think that it's politically convenient that they're trying to find a scapegoat. And I think that you're right. A big element of it is trying to lay those seeds of doubt so that if they do lose, they have somebody to blame. And when you look at the American election and Donald Trump 
and the acknowledgement basically that foreign actors have helped to elect somebody who is in the right wing and the work that the liberal government is doing to try and prevent that from happening here mm-hmm. it, it gives the conservatives uh enemy to point to as being somebody who's trying to influence the election in Canada. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it's obviously deeply concerning. Mm-hmm. And so Polyver's uh, specific criticisms around Elections Canada currently relate to kind of two things. One of them is the concern that Elections Canada is undertaking a project to hire influencers for this election. And so my background is social media marketing and uh, (laughs) one of my backgrounds, I guess. And in social media marketing, one of the things that has really arisen in the past, call it seven to 10 years, has been the something that's called influencer marketing. And Mm -hmm. so this is celebrities or people who have large followings being paid by brands to promote them. And so the root of this marketing strategy is that people are more likely to believe or buy into or support something that somebody that they see that they have trust in, respect and credibility, believe have credibility endorsing something. And so brands have gone out and it's really just social media leveraging basically endorsement deals that mm-hmm. you, you've seen historically in many brands. Um, but it's particularly focused around social media celebrity, not necessarily around celebrity in sport or other areas or entertainment. And so the the way that it appears to me they're trying to spin this is that Elections Canada is trying to influence the election by hiring these quote-unquote influencers. Mm-hmm. My interpretation is, is that Elections Canada is trying to fulfill its mission. So the mission of Elections Canada is that Canadians can exercise their democratic rights to vote and be a candidate. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be apartisan. But their mission or their mandate is really to make sure as many Canadians as possible are able to exercise their franchise. And so the whole idea behind, as I'm interpreting it, hiring these influencers is to connect to millennials and people who are engaged in social media to learn about how to vote and where to vote and when to vote and why voting is important. And so from that perspective, as long as that is what is actually happening, there's little cause for concern in my view. What's your take? Yeah, I would agree. Um, And I, and I do understand, like I do understand where the conservatives are sitting because they, I don't remember if it was actually them that brought this up or if it was, uh, you know, reporter an, uh, analysis. But it seemed like they were they were looking at it from the perspective of millennials tend to vote more liberal 
than conservatives. So that's where they were. That's where the accusation of vote rigging was coming from, because who's online? Um, you know, who who's the one who 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 are the individuals paying attention to social media? Well, it generally is the younger set. But what I've found, even through, like, if I go through my Twitter analytics, the average age of individuals who follow me, according to, you know, the information that Twitter has, are, like, close to my own age, right? They're between 35 and 45. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really 100% certain. And if you look at Facebook... Like, I don't know, the last time I boosted a post, and it's been a while, but the last time I boosted a post, I swear it was 65-year-old plus. Those are the ones that were all responding, and I was like, well, that's interesting. Yeah, in my experience with doing boosted promotions and campaigns on social media, I think the devil will be in the details as to who is targeted or actually influenced by this. Mm -hmm. Um, Influencer marketing is you see it a little bit on Twitter. You don't see a ton of it on Facebook, to be frank. Um, Instagram and Snapchat are actually quite large platforms in which you will see influencer marketing. And so that does tend to appeal to a younger demographic, even than myself. I'm 36. I don't really use Snapchat. It's not my <laughs> hate thing. Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat. And d- did I call it something else? No, no, I was okay because I do sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And Instagram, I've only really started using in the past 12 or 13 months when I took a significant Facebook and Twitter break, but went on a rather lengthy uh, road trip in the US and wanted to keep my family and friends up to date. So, but uh, yeah, so I, I think the devil's in the details. These fears are overblown and that. This is really about trying to engage millennials and youth in exercising their democratic right. Now, the point you make about this younger demographic tending to vote more left wing, Mm -hmm. that certainly there's an element of concern or a scintilla of truth in that. However, I I got into this discussion with somebody who's one of my followers on Twitter about, well, it's not their job to get out the vote. That's the parties. And we got into the discussion about the mission, et cetera. And he's like, well, why don't they why doesn't Elections Canada spend an equal amount of money trying to get seniors to vote? And but they establish advance polls at seniors homes right (laughs) how much nothing easier come on elections canada put a polling desk at the front of my driveway so (laughs) i can do it as i leave for work in the morning like uh, it just to me it doesn't make any sense and i think that if you look holistically at all the programs that they do they do have mailers which millennials are not engaging with they have polling stations which are located in seniors homes which i imagine are not cheap to establish and to operate Mm -hmm. and so i think this is really just about trying to broaden the amount of people that do turn out and that are voting so Mm -hmm. and i mean even if like we can even look at all 
Alberta. And yes, I wasn't happy with the election result in Alberta. But you know what I was happy with? Was over 65% turnout. That's what I was happy with. You know, I'm I'm okay with, with not getting what I wanted to see out of it. If that many people are going to bother showing up, I, th- I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it totally is 100% for sure. So the other aspect that has come up in some of the commentary with relation to criticism of Elections Canada is that Elections Canada handed out a reprimand to SNC-Lavalin for making illegal donations to the Liberals. Mm-hmm. And we all know the furor that has consumed the Liberal Party of Canada and the Prime Minister's office around SNC-Lavalin. I found this one a little bit interesting just because SNC-Lavalin also received a reprimand for making illegal donations to the Conservative Party of Canada. Yeah, just not as much. Yeah, just not as much. (laughs) So, you know, the question is, what's an acceptable amount of illegal donations before it becomes a problem? Yeah, that's kind of another thing, too. If you can put the blame on the system, then does that take away the accountability that you have towards the processes that system requires you to follow? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's where, too, the fact that uh, Pierre Polivare is the one who's so, you know, his name keeps popping up in this. And because of that, it's... I don't know. It's, uh, it just, it tends to look like, well, a little like a personal vendetta. Yeah. And that's kind of where my head went to as I was doing a little bit of background research and looking at some of the history and the convictions that very high ranking members of the CPC have faced for election fraud. Uh, So there's another kind of interesting tangent that was a part of this, and that's um, Spencer Fernando, who is the elections fellow for the 2019 election at the National Citizens Coalition. The National Citizens Coalition is, we'll call it an NGO or nonprofit advocacy group, um, but it's where Stephen Harper kind of cut his teeth and raised his profile. They supported him in his campaign in 19... 97 to become or sorry 1995 to become an MP and uh, he resigned in 1997 and went and joined the NCC and then in 1998 became their president and so when he was a part of he being Stephen Harper was a part of the NCC that's when he wrote the firewall letter mm-hmm. So he had a fairly high profile there, and we all know how that kind of wound up turning out. In 2002, he left the NCC and went to lead the Canadian Alliance Party before they merged with the Progressive Conservative Party at the time and became what we know today as the CPC. So all of this kind of seems just to have echoes of Stephen Harper's fingers all over it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just like everywhere you look, his stink is everywhere. <laughs> he said, with as corrupt as the system has become, no wonder people don't trust Elections Canada. And uh, so, you know, there's certainly that I've seen no 
evidence of corruption at Elections Canada. And it's just, it's really curious that you've got these connections and this concerted effort within the conservative movement to try and discredit this public institution. And it's fairly nefarious in my view. Mm -hmm. No, and I have to agree. And that was actually a question that I came up with as well after I had looked at all of this and, and put it all together. When we have corruption in our leaders or our representatives, en masse, do we lose faith in the system or just the people? Because it it seems to me like like this has changed over the last few decades where if you had a corrupt politician and they were ousted and you were done with them kind of thing. Um, but it seems to me like we are starting to lose faith in the system rather than looking at individuals as just being responsible for themselves. There's this lack of personal accountability, it seems, in today's world. And I don't know what the answer is to that because there's always been this perception or stereotype that politicians are corrupt or that they're there for, you know... Personal gain. Yeah, for personal gain or or ulterior motives, whatever, right? And so maybe it is just at the point that people are just giving up. And I know that our last election in Alberta, we had really good turnout, but their, you know, turnout has generally speaking, been on a fairly steady decline in terms of Mm -hmm. percentage. And maybe this is just symptomatic of moderates and people who are tired or exhausted by the theatrics and the ridiculousness tuning out. And so it appears that these partisan games and tricks are more effective because they're really speaking to an audience that is engaged with them and responds to it. That's true. No, I would agree with that. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, Elections Canada has been holding off on announcing who those influencers are. I think that that's feeding a little bit into the conspiracy theories because (laughs) one of the comments I heard uh, or saw online, and this might have even come from Polyver, was that they were going through and making sure these influencers were scrubbing their timelines of any partisan bias. So so it'll be interesting to see what turns up, but uh, it's definitely concerning, not out of character, but something that we need to be aware of on, on the watch for as we head towards the fall election. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And, and, you know, as it ramps up, I'm sure we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll get more to talk about. Absolutely. So that's a good place to end it. And our next segment, we're going to be looking at the single-use plastic ban and the communications and rollout of that policy. So I imagine you have a fun title for this segment that's coming up. I do. It is called Men Without Straws. Men Without <laughs> Men Without Straws. Okay. <laughs> So we'll be back tomorrow with the Men Without Straws segment. We'll see you then. (laughs) Bye, Robbie. Bye, Deirdre. Thanks for joining us for this episode. This has been the Political R&D Podcast with Robbie Krieger-Smith 
And Deirdre Mitchell McLean. Where can people find you, Deirdre? They can find me on Twitter at Mitchell underscore AB. And you can find me online at RKS Alberta. The Political R&D Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political R&D. Goodbye, Robbie. Goodbye, Deirdre. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.